To all of the veterans out there, thank you for your service. This is the Street Smart Mental Health Podcast. We are coming to you, as always, from the Lou Fuse Automotive Group Studio. My name is Michael Wellington, and the man across the table from me is my tag team partner. Many of you know him as the Natty King. His name is Brandon McNamee. Brandon, how's, hey. it, how's it hanging, brother? Oh, it's hanging. It's hanging. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm excited about today's guest. We've got a yeah. guy who now is securely in corporate America, doing very, very well. But he had a stint as a police officer in Ferguson, Missouri. And if anybody from the St. Louis area or the bi-state area right, is familiar with Ferguson, they know that it's not the safest place to either live or be a police officer. Our, our guest today is Drew McClure. Drew. How are you? Thanks for coming in, man. Absolutely, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. This thing is uh, top notch. <laughs> yeah, we were, uh, we want to make you feel comfortable. I think that your story is interesting in the sense that you were in one of the toughest neighborhoods in America. Maybe, and we'll get into this a little bit. Maybe you realized that it was better for your own safety, better for your mental health, better for your physical health to to change jobs. I mean, walk us through a little bit how you made the decision to become a police officer, and then. Did you choose to go to Ferguson, or were you assigned? No, so I actually, uh, I chose to go to Ferguson. Ferguson was one of those ones where, and I'll back up, because when I went through the police academy, there was a bunch of different options. You could go through the St. Louis City Police Academy, the St. Louis County Police Academy, and you were pretty much relegated to go to those departments, St. Louis City or St. Louis County. I went to an academy in St. Charles County, which was the Eastern Missouri Police Academy, and that gave you access to all the local municipalities. And so I sought out Ferguson. That was one of the places that I applied to specifically because, frankly, I wanted to make a difference. I didn't want to bust up high school parties. I remembered my experience like Baldwin cops and shit when we were in kids, uh, you know, (laughs) like they're just breaking high school parties up, and that wasn't what I wanted to do, so... I started kind of down that path for Ferguson. And you were like, how old you said? 21. Oh, so you 21. were you were young and hung, started. ready to roll. Yeah. Yeah, I was a bouncer at Donald Landing for years. Oh, shit. And started... Were you uh, at Sundeckers? Sundeckers. Is that right? Do I remember Sundeckers? that right? Yeah, Sundeckers and Morgan Street. If you remember those. <laughs> oh, I, those I remember Sundeckers. Top-notch establishments <laughs> for sure. there. Yeah. And uh, did, did that job as a bouncer kind of pique your interest when you'd see the cops down there? Like, hey, do I want to join this team? It did. It, it was kind of like uh, it was a realization that cops were humans. They were nice guys. They were guys that thought like I did. We had good conversations. I enjoyed the camaraderie about it. It was There's a definite parallel between that and my time as a football player and the camaraderie that you got. And I totally enjoyed that. Yeah, I would think police officers and first responders, it's a really special fraternity. And I guess I don't want to say sorority, but it's a special group of people that, like you said, you're trying to make a difference. And, you know, I I just can't imagine. And Brandon, maybe can you imagine going to work and knowing that maybe you won't come back from work? Like, what's that like? I mean, how how do you do? Were you so young that it was kind of were you green about it? Like, how does that work? Yeah, young and dumb. Right. Mm-hmm. Young and dumb. No, but I definitely knew that that was out there. My father-in-law is a policeman. I got married while I was a policeman. So, yeah, we knew it. 
I had friends that had gotten shot, a couple of guys that were shot in the Ferguson Police Department while I was there. So, yeah, we knew it was something that was kind of ever-present. It was always something that was driving you to be vigilant during How your fucking job. fucking stressful is that, though? I mean, every day, every – I mean, you could be sitting in your squad car and, and just somebody runs up and just, just because, because they fucking hate you. That just was, automatically hate yeah, you. Yeah, you just sit in your squad car for hours, yeah. right? Like, that was one of the things that I used to always say from a mental health standpoint – you go from absolute boredom on a midnight shift to within seconds, hey, Frank 25, got a domestic in progress or shots fired, something. And you go from, from absolute boredom to terror, <laughs> yeah. adrenaline rush, got to get there right now. That's, it seems like it's probably also always something different, right? Like you probably have your routine of getting ready to go to work and getting your equipment on and your uniform and all that but then as soon as the clock starts like every day had to be completely different i would imagine every single day was different and that was what i wanted too. remember that movie office space <laughs> of that course, came of out like right around the time i made the decision i was like hey i'm gonna go to be a policeman because i saw office space and just the hell of what that was <laughs> lumber what, fucker. yeah lumber fucker <laughs> and i was just thought to myself there's no way i'm gonna be able to go to an office and wear a suit every right. single day I, I i couldn't do it so that was part of your decision was. because you were afraid to run into bill lumber exactly god <laughs> Yeah, hi. <laughs> hi. <laughs> so, yeah, it, there wasn't that. You didn't get that. You didn't get the constant office stuff. And it wasn't, there was annoyances, but it wasn't anything like that. I'm going to need you to uh, go ahead and come in on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> what a great movie, man. Yeah. Yeah, but no, that sounds fucking miserable. I hear, I hear you. But yeah, I just can't imagine always being in that heightened state of stress. I mean, even when you go home, you're like, all right, I got plans this weekend. And, you're just constantly thinking, like, am I going to even make it to the weekend? Like, that would just be always on my mind, and it would just heighten sense of stress constantly. I wouldn't it, be able to fucking handle it. We talked about it all the time. It was called, we called it reentry. I still call it reentry, just in a different context. But reentry when you come home from being a policeman and working all day and seeing just complete shit yeah. all day long. And then you walk in the door, and you got your kids coming up to give you a hug, or your wife is upset with you because the laundry's not done. It takes a while to transition from being a policeman to being a dad, to being a father, to being a husband. And that was something that I recognized pretty early on as something that I was going to struggle with. And one of the reasons that I ultimately got out of the business. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I, it's just incredible to me when I think I, I got a buddy in Chicago who he just quit the force up there because it just became too dangerous. Did you notice, and I don't think the mental health world was as strong as it is now, but when you were in that window, you said 01 to 06 or yeah. so, somewhere like there, yeah. five or six years. Did you notice at that time any mental health things going on with you? Or did you notice many years later, looking back on your time in the force, like, hey, I didn't really realize it, but maybe I had some extra anxiety. Maybe I had some extra depression. I mean, was, was, were those kind of things, did you notice them then or did you notice later on in life? I'd say I noticed them then, but I didn't know what the hell they were. I honestly didn't notice. You were young, too. I was young and didn't have, I guess, the self-intuitiveness to look inside and say That's good what word. is going on. <laughs> Self-intuitiveness. Yeah. I like that. That's, so if you – are you 40 years old? Yeah, you're 40 43, years old 43, yeah. So if you had some advice as a 40-year-old Drew McClure to go back and talk to that 23-year-old Drew McClure, 
going into the force? What kind of things would you have told him to be looking out for? What, what would you have done differently? You know, I, I can smile looking back and say, I don't know that I would have done anything differently. I was happy with what I did, and I'm proud of the, the service that I did while I was there. I would tell you this. I recognized relatively late in my career that I was hardening and I was hardening to a point that I didn't like. And I didn't understand that then, but I do now. And I think it's because you see everybody at the worst point of their life, right? Like, I don't know how many experiences you've had with the police department. You and I have personally had a couple with There's the police a few department. Run-ins. Yeah, a couple of them. But it's usually at the worst point in your life. It's the point where you're calling because that's the last resort. And so you see humanity at its worst Shit. every day, all day. I know you said you came hardened, but did you become like maybe desensitized to certain shit? Like, uh, you know, like I yeah, lost my brother me. a couple of years ago and it kind of, it really hit me like really hard to where I, I feel like I'm almost desensitized to death now. Like whenever I see it, like other people go through it, I'm like, yeah, it happens. It happens almost in a way. Like does that kind of, and I hate to say that I'm, I don't, not, not saying I'm not sympathetic, but do you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you just kind of. Yeah, they talk about it a lot. And, Cold uh, up. Like, yeah, nurses talk about it, too. Yeah, oh, I medical can't now, even imagine. Right? Was, and oh, my God. We talked about it when we were there. We got a, You got a sick, twisted kind of sense of humor, and that was the only way to kind of deal with it was to, holy shit, yeah. look at that. That is that is kind of funny, you know? Like, <laughs> that's weird. He laid he, he Look fell how down he fell. Like, yeah, look how he fell. That's like, like the, the fucking scene in departed. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, that's she felt funny. She like, you really funny. should see someone, Francis. <laughs> that's fucking funny. That you do, you get hard. Well, that's when crazy. you were in the get force, hard. did they have any sort of programs to help police officers deal with their mental health challenges? Was that not a thing then? Do you still have friends that are in the force? Are they doing things differently now? I mean, what, what, what did that look like? I think there's a more of a, an understanding that methyl health is a real thing, and it's something that's necessary for these guys. When I was a policeman, I still was in the, like, we didn't talk about it. You didn't really? talk about mental health. It was, oh, uh, yeah, he needs to take a couple of days off because he shot a guy a week or two off, and you're back on the force. And that was pretty much it. There's been much more in terms of at least a focus on mental health for these guys moving forward because they recognize, I think, that it's important. I remember a couple, maybe a month or two ago, you texted me and you said you helped some cops in Jacksonville, right? Yeah. With a chase, is yeah. that right? Yeah. Now, did that situation bring back the adrenaline that you would feel when you were a real active police officer. 100%. Take that. Yeah. Tell us that story. Uh, I, was in, uh, I was in Jacksonville, Florida, yeah. Coming, this year, uh, right? Yeah. This is like a month or two ago, maybe? Yeah, it was this year, probably uh, two months ago. And literally, I'm coming around the corner. Walking or driving? From a business meeting, and I'm in a, in a rental car, big old Ford Expedition. Came across, and I see this guy running down the street. He's got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, and his pants are hanging down around his ankles. <laughs> And he's running, and he looks like he's in barefoot. And then as soon as I comprehend that, I see a policeman kind of coming around. So I got my expedition and kind of wedged him in between a dumpster (laughs) and my car. And they got him, slowed him down long enough for the cops to tase him. And unfortunately, his coconut bounced off the back of the the rental car like a basketball. And they got him into custody. They thanked me for my time, and we moved on. That was that. So there's a lot of this talk the last couple of years about people wanting to defund the police. And and I just couldn't disagree with that more. If you don't have safety 
whether it's when you were in the forest or just the story you're talking about in Florida earlier this year, like how can you really feel good about anything? I don't get it. It's kind of like, what are you going to take? Like how much more are you going to defund them? These guys are making, I think when I left, I was making 1634 an hour as a Ferguson police officer full time in one of the busiest municipalities in the state. What are you going to take? You're already not paying them what they should be paid. You're already, and in cases of St. Louis City, they were just lucky enough to get new cruisers. These guys have been driving around in old-school Chevy Impalas that have been deferred maintenance. Is that right? Deferred maintenance on these things. And these police departments, they don't have any money in the first place. What are you going to take from them? You're going to take the personnel that are coming to help. Yeah. I don't know what you could take any more of. Underpaid and your life is on the line every time you put that badge on, especially in that jurisdiction. Underpaid, underappreciated. Oh, fucking hated it in most cases. That's successful. I don't know that I ever got into it thinking I was going to get appreciated, though. No, that was kind of one of the things of like, yeah, I know I'm going to get spit on. I know I'm going to go in and people are going to motherfuck me. But yeah, I mean, you you, you don't do it because you want to be appreciated, but it's. You don't want to be fucking hated and targeted yeah. and spit on, you know, like that's and what job, what job in the world is like that? You know? None. None. Right. Maybe an army officer. Or, sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, but that's aside it. from yeah. military. It's a strange thing that happens, too, because you got to go from that same situation from a policeman's standpoint of, hey, this guy literally was spitting on me, trying to kill me, trying to hurt me. I've just got him put into lockup. I've signed my papers. I've pulled out of the Sally Port. Another call is, hey, you got to go help this little girl who's just been beat up by her dad. And so you go from a bad case where you're fighting literally for your life to 25 minutes later trying to show compassion to a child abuse victim, and you got to lock up the father. That's a lot. And then you got to go home. (laughs) And then you got to go home and uh, do the laundry. Yep. Like, fuck that. Is there a story or two that really stands out in your time as a police officer where you thought, man, this is dicey. I don't know if I'm going to make it through this or or you got shot at or anything like that that really sticks out in your mind that you're you're thinking to yourself, man, I was lucky to get through that. Yeah, I had some pretty close calls. And that kind of at the end of my career was those were becoming more and more frequent. And I want to say toward the end of my career, I had two that were pretty close. And one of them still to this day is kind of one of those nightmares that you always have that recurs. And it's it's one of those things where you, you think your punch is going to hit somebody and it's going to have an impact and you hit them and it doesn't work. But that was what it was in real life. I was in a fight literally for my life, myself, my partner, in a fight with a guy who was an ex-con. We were trying to lock him up and he, he fought. He fought hard. He pulled both of our pistols out of our holsters, got them out of our holsters. And in the end, it was me and him just kind of rolling around in the dirt. With a lucky fun, enough, with a gun in who knows where. Yeah, guns loaded. Under, yeah, loaded guns. No both idea. Of them out of the holster. He got them both out of our holsters, and we rolled around with them till the end, and got them into cuffs. Thank God. It was it literally at the end of it was either he's going in cuffs or one of us is dead. Right. So, man, good lord. Is- that is sobering. Yeah. Fuck yeah. You don't know. You're rolling around. You don't know if you're going to hear a shot and get one on the belly and fucking that's it. Like, you don't know. Like, yeah. Ugh. And you know, the funniest thing I remember about that at now is, is the joke that we made with my buddy afterwards. Because the first thing that started that whole altercation was he headbutted my partner and he had cornrows. 
and my partner got cornrow burns in rows on his <laughs> right, forehead, yes. and we gave him shit for weeks that he had cornrow burns <laughs> on his forehead. And but to your point, that was how we dealt with that type of. What else are you going to do? I mean, how else are you going to deal with it? Hey, let's make a joke about this, and we'll talk about it later. Have any of those situations lingered on mentally for you after you left the force? Like, is there PTSD left from it? Is there, like you said, will you you wake up in the middle of the night, like having a a recurring dream or any sort of dream about what happened in the past? You see cornrows in your sleep? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe? Uh, You know... I have some that are kind of, you know, recurring dreams, man. Yeah, I do. And they, they suck. They wake me up. There's some nightmares in there. And over the years, I've just kind of learned to deal with it or put it out of my head or go on to something else and put my time and effort into something else. But unfortunately, it's just like the problem that you have with suicides with veterans in that they don't ask for help. You right. Know. These, are, these are big, strong guys. They don't want to ask for help. They don't want to say, hey, um, I've got a problem. I was the same way and probably still haven't asked for the help I should have gotten, but I don't know that I'm too upset about it at this point. Yeah, I guess it's just how you, like, and I can only say this from an outside perspective, but it's kind of how you compartmentalize it, right? Like you guys use humor or you used some jokes to, to talk about certain things, but, I mean, when it gets down to it, you're talking about you could punch into work at 8 a.m. and you might not make it to noon and that's just the reality of it and that's frightening but but it's we have to have people like yourself and all these other cops because if we don't it's just going to be anarchy and i just wonder like are these police jurisdictions doing anything i'm curious if they and i don't know if you even know the answer but if they're doing anything to help the officers in their jurisdiction with their mental health Right. Yeah, I think that some of them are, and I think that there's some police departments that are relatively progressive that are doing these types of things. I don't think that that's everywhere, right? And we talked about it earlier with this whole defund the police business. Mental health services are probably going to be the first thing that gets cut when you're talking about do we have money for an officer and a squad car or a mental health program for our guys. Yeah, good point. So that's the first thing that's going to get cut. It's going to go straight to bullets, guns, men, cars. Was there a final straw for you when you were like, okay, I've done this for a while. I've been in all these situations. I can go find a job with more money. Was there one defining thing that you were like, okay, I'm out? Yep. What was it? I got my sergeant's check accidentally. And it was about six weeks before I made the decision to quit. I got my sergeant's check, and he had been there for 25-some-odd years, and they slipped his paycheck into my envelope just on accident. total accident. It's like 400 fucking bucks more. After 25 years? After 25 years. Wow. And I was looking at it just going, yeah, this isn't going to work. Sorry. Oh, shit, that would, yeah. (laughs) That was was depleting. It was was really depleting just to see that and go, yep, I I don't know if this is, there's no future. Yeah, and if there is, you're not going to be compensated yeah. all that way. It's crazy to me how police officers and teachers are just so underpaid. It's so unfair. It's incredible. Yeah. For the importance of their jobs. Yeah. You know? And and train them. Tra- train them, right? Like, this is where the funding thing comes into play is, is 
let's give them more training. Let's not take away money that helps these guys grow, understand, be empathetic, have mental health resources, maybe approach things differently. But what we wind up with when we defund the police is a minimum standard, a very low paying job and no services for any of these guys moving forward. And back to my point, what else are you going to defund? Right. It's like they want to defund the police to correct a problem with the police. I don't know what the thing is, but it feels like if you gave more money, then you can train them properly and then have more resources available. That would be better for the public as well. Absolutely. And the people that are bitching about them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they went the wrong way with it. Yeah, when you're talking about that, how does less money help that, that situation? <laughs> right. It just doesn't. It no. doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. Even if you're on the other side of that aisle of, hey, I want better quality policing. I think that there's uh, whatever it is, there's institutional racism within the police departments. I would think that you'd want to put some money behind training people to train that out. If you truly believe that that was the issue. Right. That you would put some money behind hundred sure that absolutely. happen. Yeah, well, it seems like defunding is the opposite. Where does that money, and forgive my ignorance here, where does the money go that these jurisdictions are collecting? It's certainly not going into the paychecks of the police officers. No, and a lot of times it goes back to the court system, goes back to the municipalities, it goes back to running the day-to-day operations. And unfortunately, and specifically, I'm sure we can all think of some municipalities in North County that use tickets as revenue generators, right? That's, sure. They don't have a tax base, but they can write tickets for the folks that are going 10 miles an hour on Highway 70 right. and generate revenue. Did you, in your career as a police officer, did you have to go to court a lot? Did you have to testify a yeah. good amount? What, what was that like? I mean, Actually, that was one of the things that I loved. And one of the things that I think I've probably carried with me now into my professional career was the ability to go through testifying. They train you pretty well on how to answer questions, how to get your story down, how to be very clear, concise, when to shut up, when to be silent. That was fun. And actually, I've, as recent as probably five years ago, still had to go and testify for a federal case, a federal firearms case on somebody that I locked up in 2001. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Put that one at the bottom of the stack, huh? Yeah. If your son Speaking came justice. to you, if your son came to you when he was 22, he just gets out of school or maybe doesn't go to school, whatever, and he says, Dad, I think I want to be a cop. Do you, what do you tell him when you sit him down? Uh, I'd probably try and talk him out of it to the extent that I would I'd tell him what the real story is. Right. I'd probably try and get his expectations at least grounded to that extent. But in the end, I'd be happy. I'd be proud as hell if he decided to be a policeman. My father was in the Army. My brother was in the Air Force. We grew up with the culture of serve your country, proud of your country. I feel like my police department time was my service. and No if, question it was. Yeah, if that's what my son wants to do, then I'd, all the more power to him. Wouldn't stop him. Yeah, I mean, I think it's always interesting when you have someone who's been there, like yourself. And I'm not saying your son's going to do that, but I think it's pretty cool that when you have that perspective of, okay, okay, this is what it's really like. You may have read some things or looked at social media and some things, but from your standpoint, you were in it. Yeah. And Man, and it's a family thing now, too. I mean, not to change the subjects, but the, the son thing just hit home. I mean, you're talking about some of these policemen that you've seen on recent social media stuff that we had huge protests and problems about that these policemen were wind up being exonerated, but 
their families have been fired from their jobs. Their parents have been fired from their jobs. A police officer in Atlanta who's who shot the gentleman out in a fast food restaurant. His mother lost her job. At, just for being associated. Just no for one being I'm, associated with really? It's tough for these guys nowadays. They're going to lose everything. And in New York State, they got rid of the law that allowed for police officers to essentially put the liability off on the police department to the extent that they are now personally liable should they have an accident or should they have a problem while they are on duty. They are now personally liable. Like so, if they wreck the car? Yeah, they wreck the car. The they, you, you drive your car, you're a policeman, and you're chasing a suspect, and the suspect takes off. You turn your lights on, you wreck the car, you kill somebody in the, the course of your duties. You are now personally liable. They got rid of that rule in the state of New York. Jeez. Man, well, I know I mentioned my buddy in Chicago who just quit the force. As you keep an eye on it from a distance now, now that you're removed from it, do you think or do you worry a little bit that sometime in the future that we're not going to have enough police in all these different areas like people aren't going to go try to get that job anymore is that a concern it's going to gonna happen now isn't it yeah i think it is i mean everybody you drive down 70 right now you see four or five signs for people begging for yeah, police St. officers peter's one above, yeah. by mid rivers yeah, and I think that one, what's it say, starting pay? $16, like $16 an hour, dollars an hour, 22 maybe. So it hasn't gone up. Yeah, it hasn't gone up much, has it? Shit. And that's St. Peter's, man. Those right. guys are getting, that's a great police department with a great tradition, great history. All the ones out here in, in the St. Charles area, great professional police departments, all top notch. It's just, it's fascinating to me to learn kind of the details of it. Are, are there things that you would do differently? Now that you've learned, obviously we've known each other for a long time, and you know about the work we've done, things like Brandon and I have done with the podcast or other things in the mental health world, are there things that you've seen and noticed in the last four or five years in the, the real world, quote unquote, that you would have done differently for yourself when you were in the force, whether it's more exercise or just working on yourself a little bit differently? Yeah, I absolutely. I think I would have taken better care of myself when I was in the police department. Like in what way? Physically. I was able to do it because I was young at that point. And so physically, I was coming off of being a, a college athlete, football player. It wasn't too much of a challenge. If I did it over again, I would have been in much better shape. And I think that would have put me into a better health state mentally and physically. Did you ever see... Maybe you had a bad week where there was four or five or even more situations that were really intense. Looking back on it, did you notice, oh, my Lord, like at, at that particular time, like I was really in a bad spot, but I didn't realize it. Yeah, I had a couple of uh, – I remember there was a couple of weeks where I'd come home and um, my wife started to notice it. And I just – I would come home and literally sit down. I remember at a kitchen table, shitty little TV on top of the fridge. And I'd grab a glass of, uh, just a glass and a bottle of Bushmills. And that's mm -hmm. how I... Self-medication. Yeah. That's how I what is it. Bushmills? Whiskey. A little whiskey. Oh. A little Irish whiskey. I gotcha. Okay. And just would, yeah. That's how you decompress after a shift. And before you know it, that bottle's gone and you're still thinking about the same damn thing. And you're still, now you're just drunk. <laughs> now you're drunk say, thinking about the same thing. Right. And it didn't go away. So <laughs> I think I would I would say that that was part of it. I did. I kind of crawled into a bottle a little bit and 
dealing with the stress afterwards of trying to decompress get out of it i mean i I can only and it's not a fair relationship but i can only think of like the adrenaline that i would feel like competing in sports and then you shift that to the adrenaline that maybe you would feel either getting ready to go to work as a police officer or when something's going down during your shift like i I can't even what's that adrenaline is that like uh is that like riding the screaming eagle I mean, what's that adrenaline like? Yeah, I, I don't know. I never. I don't want to say I didn't think about it because it's stupid. You think about it because you should. You like. I always used to say like people with no fear stickers, they're idiots, right? Like you got to have some fear. Like <laughs> yeah, fear it's probably involved. Fear drives you to be vigilant. Fear drives you to be careful and concentrate. And that was one of the things that, as you go through being a policeman, like as soon as that call comes out the fear goes away and now you're doing your job you don't really think about it i don't know how to describe that but was never scared i don't know why it wasn't like oh no this is going to happen it was we're going into a house there may be a guy with a gun in there and we're going to find him and we're going to put him in cuffs and we're going to drag him out and we never had the the mindset that anything else was going to happen yeah, but totally in the moment. Did. Like yeah. you're totally in the present. You're not thinking about what could happen in the future. You're certainly not thinking about what's going on in the past. And I think that's one of the things I can relate that a little bit to sports, but I think that's one of the things that's so impressive about police officers is if you're not in the moment and you're not focused on the present, you are going to be in some trouble. Yeah. And you see it all the time, like all the social media stuff where you see some of these, I watch policemen all the time where I'm going, oh, you idiot. What are you, he's going to come around the corner. Oh, oh, there he is. He did the same thing. And those guys are just not in the moment. We we didn't have that luxury in Ferguson. You ever watch that dude on YouTube, Donut Operator? Yeah. That guy fucking, oh, <laughs> who is this guy? Oh, he's the best, dude. He, Donut he, Operator? Yeah, he's the best. He's an ex-cop and he, he just has like all these clips of, and he does a little review of a clip like of a body cam footage and shit and donut operator just look it up on youtube he's got tons of videos and they're always interesting it is we have covered so much here let's take a quick break and come right back We've been here for over 70 years, giving back to community charities, local organizations, and youth athletics. And now we're the official automotive sponsor of St. Louis City SC. We've been here, providing the best car buying experience to our customers. Lou Fuse, we are here with the respect you deserve for 70 years and counting. The Street Smart Mental Health Podcast is powered by Birdies for Bipolar. Birdies for Bipolar aids veterans and civilians living with mental illness by using golf as recreational therapy. For more information, check out birdiesforbipolar.org. That's birdies, the number four, bipolar.org. Welcome back to Street Smart. Let's dig back in. You know, one of the biggest things, and Brandon and I talked about this the other day when we were recording a different episode, but one of the biggest things that's going on right now is these uh, school shootings, right? Yeah. And I'm sure you keep an eye on it, number one, because you have kids, but number two, because you're a police officer. Like, what can you tell us about these police officers that react, that are the first responders to these school shootings? What, what must that be like for them to go in there 
again, not really knowing what's going to happen. You obviously want to stay in the present and all that. But when you read stuff like that and you see that, I mean, that's got to bring you back to something. I don't know if you ever dealt with a school shooting, but from your perspective, what comes to mind when you see these shootings? And regardless of who's doing them, I think we'd all agree that it's a mental illness situation. Yeah. I would tell you I watched, especially with the last one that we just saw in Nashville, because the body cam footage was out there so quickly, right, on social media. We were able to see, like, oh, my goodness, this is exactly what happened. I think what you saw is exactly what I just described, and that is a guy rolls up, realizes what the fuck is going down, immediately runs to the back of his trunk, grabs his rifle, racks his round, gets a shooting team. You hear him at the door, I need three. I need three because four is a shooting team. He's got four people moving through the school, clearing systematically just to get to Just went right to work. Went to work. That was it. Like Tom Brady isn't thinking about Giselle at fourth and two, right? He's thinking about how he's got a role, and that's all these guys are doing. And I was proud. I mean, those those guys. I couldn't watch it. Was, I, heard, was I heard it was really. Pretty intense, yeah. and they did exactly what they were supposed to do. They did not hesitate, and they ran, they ran toward danger. That was cool. Didn't even think about it. Didn't yeah. even think twice. I read it was like six minutes from like the first shot or, or when they found out the guy, the perpetrator was on the campus to the time they got there. Now, to me, that's – I love hearing that. I mean, you hate to see what happened, but the quickness, you feel like hopefully the response is getting faster. Do you think the response is, is quicker or is it just kind of Yeah, lucky? I think you're kind of in an area down there, uh, conservative south. I don't know that they've adopted the defund the police or just kicked them out as much, and it looks like those guys were well-funded. They had decent equipment and were there quick, but as we say defund – I think we should also be saying, like, add minutes to responses, because that's what defund is. How much longer do you want them to that's take exactly what it is. Yeah. to get there and help out? Because every time you scream defund, that's another minute, two minutes yeah. that it's going to take to get a policeman there or somebody there that they can help. Yeah, it's just it's mind-boggling to me to see some of the shootings. and can't wrap your head around it. You can't. You can't. It's chaos and that's the thing I always think when these things happen, rational people try to put rational thoughts behind the reasoning can, behind yeah. this, and there's no rational no. thought or reasoning that goes into this, and that's where there's a huge, huge disconnect and a vacuum for right. yeah, bullshit I, arguments. I, I would argue that a school shooting is the highest level of mental illness yeah. because who, no one in their right mind is going to go start killing children. I mean, it just that doesn't make any sense. None. So to see it happen so often, especially the last, like, two years or so, it just, to me, it's like tip of the cap to all these police officers who respond and who react, and I, I just have so much respect for them. I mean, um, nowadays, if I see a cop somewhere, it could be at a golf tournament. Like, I'll just say, hey, thank you for your service, because without these people, it would be anarchy, like you said, even yeah. more. It's huh. It's thankless. It's always it's the most thankless yes. job in the entire world. And thankfully, everybody always asks, like, how do how do how are you a cop, or how are these guys still cops? They because they're driven to serve. They're driven right. to do what they're doing. They don't care about the thanks, and that's one of the things that makes them noble. They don't care about the money. They don't care about the thanks. Yep. They just this is what they do. It's what's built into them, yep. and how they're how they it, are. It's the most selfless job I think out there. It has to be. Yeah. Can I ask, just switch gears for a second. What do you do now? So now I'm in medical. But I would tell you that I am in medical specifically because I 
still had that drive to help others sure, and still yeah, had that yeah. drive to serve and do something that has some nobility in it. And that's one of the reasons I do what I do. It's a lot more lucrative <laughs> than sure. being a policeman and it's afforded me a lot of other things, but I still miss. So you kind of stayed with the, service. yeah, you, you still in the, the service industry, I guess you would not call it a service industry. That's like a waiter, but <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? What is it like? I can, I certainly can't relate, but what is it like when you do apprehend or secure a suspect and you put them in jail or you put them in handcuffs after a struggle? I mean, that's got to be a pretty good feeling. Yeah, it is. But they usually, that's when, that's when a lot of problems start, right? Is when they get into handcuffs. It's when some spitting starts. That's when like okay. messes in the back of the car, everybody, right? When you get in handcuffs, the common joke is as soon as you put somebody in handcuffs, they've got to take a shit. That's every time, huh? Every single time. <laughs> Do they yeah. say that? Every time. Every time. Just like everybody always says when you pull them over and they've been drinking, if you had anything to drink, everybody always says, yeah, I've had two beers. Watch it. From now on, every DWI video will start with, yeah, I had two beers. Nobody two starts. Well, I had 11. Yeah. Nobody yeah, starts yeah, with that, huh? starts with 11. <laughs> it's always two beers. That's, yeah. <laughs> That's when you know they're fucked up. That's, huh? Yeah, that's, that's it. When you know, that's an automatic DWI. But that's, he said two beer. You get into the jail, too. That's I mean, you get a whole different host of stories and incidents that occur in jails. But yeah, so it doesn't end. It doesn't end there, but it is a pretty good feeling. It is, like, especially when it's, you know, what I talked about earlier, that the child abuse case. I genuinely enjoyed putting that individual in, in jail. Did you ever run into a situation where you know you're going into a heated scenario and maybe um, your your mind turns to negative town. You start thinking about, oh, what if this doesn't go well? What if I don't get this guy or, or this perpetrator? Well, does that ever happen? Or are you just so in the moment that like your focus is so locked in on what you're doing that you don't even think about negative town? No, because I was, I was pretty big, so most of the guys, if they ran from me, they were probably getting away, <laughs> especially if I couldn't get anything out of, to throw at them. But no, I, it, it was deflating. It was like you didn't do your job. It was completely deflating. When they'd get away, it was tough. It was an angry portion of the day. But no, I don't know that I really got to the point where it was like, hey, I, you know, I, I missed that guy. and Like losing a sale? To, yeah. It, it was... It's more instant oh, yeah. and reactionary than anything. I guess it's just part of it. Like sometimes people are going to get away. Sometimes you're going to get them. Uh, I just, uh, it's just so intense to yeah. me. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's just like catching speeders, right? Like sometimes you're going to catch five or six guys speeding in one day, and some days you're not going to. Some days you're going to catch everybody. Some day you're not going to catch everybody. Dude, they got this shit on. Uh, so I was on maps or whatever on my phone driving back from Tennessee, Nashville last week. Actually, Nashville, we had a cheer competition. And uh, on my thing, like on my map, on my GPS, it would tell me if there was a fucking checkpoint. <laughs> and then you could like choose to press the button that would say it's still there or the cop left and i'm like this is fucking built into google maps like yeah. what and every time it'd be like speed check ahead and i'm like okay and there was a fucking cop sitting right there. i'm like well that's a nice feature yeah, yeah. <laughs> how does that happen right i have no idea they yeah. allow you to they allow you to type it in if you see it i guess and tell everybody behind you 
instill every every story that says that somebody's going to tell you like, hey, I was wronged by a policeman starts with something like, yeah, so I stopped for speeding. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was going 102. Oh, fucking, you were stopped for speeding. You just nah, were breaking the wrong, I wasn't right? doing anything wrong. I don't know why you stopped me. Yeah. One of the things that's super fascinating to me, and I see this when I talk to veterans, like these guys that go overseas and they fight and they – there's that buzz that they get when they're in the mix of that. Like you've seen the Chris Kyle story, right? Yeah. Like he comes back and he doesn't really know how to deal with life that isn't intense. My question is when you're a police officer and you you have these high intensity scenarios, is it almost like is it like a a drug almost? Like you you kind of enjoy the yeah. adrenaline or the the intensity and then and then when it goes away even though it's you could lose your life do you kind of miss it seems like that's what happens with the veterans yeah 100 percent. i loved the adrenaline rush of yeah yeah of doing of, your job of doing my job yeah of getting in a foot chase going in a high-speed pursuit there was a definite adrenaline drum dump for that and that was definitely something that we saw it it was you didn't want a boring day. You wanted a busy, busy, dangerous, exciting day. So when you walked away from the force, even though it sounds bizarre, did you still miss that that energy that you couldn't get anywhere else? Or were you kind of like, okay, I did my job. I've worked long enough. I know I'm not going to make a lot of money. Yeah. So do I not miss it as much? You know, how, how does that? I don't know, that, man. That There's like this like mall security guard. You feel like after you quit, <laughs> like shit, I can't do anything, but I know it. Like I, I would still drive and yeah. look at people's license. Plate, oh, I'm sure, like, and call them out in my head like I would on the radio. <laughs> but you realize, like, holy shit, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm, I have no authority or jurisdiction yeah, can't to do, do anything. anything. About that. Yeah, I can't do anything. So you met, I miss it. Yeah, definitely. There's a there's an adrenaline rush that's oh missed. has to be. Yeah. So so if you were, and this kind of goes back to a little bit to if your son came to you, but if you were going to talk to a young police officer and share with him or her what you experienced, like what would you tell them first, like how to handle the job, but then also how to take care of their mental acuity as they work this job. I would say, remember why you got into it and to remember that you were there to help and to serve. It becomes ridiculously easy. As I said, you see everybody at their worst point to start putting a hard, hard shell all over yourself to the point where you're not letting anything in and you're not letting anything out. So for those young guys that are starting, it's start to realize that you're seeing everybody at their worst and make sure that you can still go and see the good in people and remember why you started. Remember that drive to serve. That's important. And I think that when I got to the end of my career, I always said I got to the point where I was so tough, nothing really bothered me. Yeah. I could see anything and I was unimpressed by it. It didn't bother me, or at least I didn't think it did. Fuck that. And I said, I'm starting to turn into a robot, uh, yeah. and I didn't like it. How long did it take for you to get to that point? You said you worked for five or six years. Did yeah. it take a couple of years, or was it immediately like, okay, I'm going to be kind of prone to this? It was about the time I started thinking of myself as a salty old policeman, probably a year after, you know. I, you got out of rookie status. People start asking you questions. You realize, like, oh shit, I'm I'm actually pretty good at this. And that's when it starts to it starts. 
And then it starts to build up because you know the answers to every question, right? You know the answers to all the problems. You're starting to, to figure it out. And that's where that crust starts to build. Does each jurisdiction have like a program for you guys, like whether it's a physical exercise workout or going to meet with a counselor? Like is there any sort of there organized? When, yeah, it wasn't when I was there. Really? There may be now. And I think every once in a while they'd pull there was somebody that was physically unable to complete their job, i.e. there was you see them all the time, huge, huge obese cops, right? Right. They couldn't put them on the street. So they started to get to the point where they had developed some sort of physical programs and that was starting to come into favor more and more when I left as I was kind of out the door. Yeah, I would think they would especially nowadays keep an eye on that just to try to keep everybody in a better place physically, mentally, the whole deal. Yeah, you would think. It's just so interesting to me to find out what the details are when you're in that job. Yes. It's a, it's such a thankless job that people just have no idea the realities that go along with it. Yes. I, I got a question for everybody, I'm sure. Is the quota thing a real thing? Yeah. Okay, it is a real yeah, thing. Totally oh, is. The okay. thing? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. People who oh, are trying to meet their fucking quota. End of the month. You know? Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. That, that is real. Totally. That's real. Yep. Okay. I won't give you the numbers, but yeah, how do you measure a policeman's productivity right arrests and tickets yeah, and yeah. if you have zero at the end of the month your They're sergeant gonna... was knocking on your door say, what the going, fuck what, did you do yeah. all month what the hell you've been doing yeah well i thought about your quota thing because i drove last monday up from baton rouge so it was about a nine-hour drive and i had heard the last couple of years of missouri state troopers there aren't enough of them right so yeah. once i got into missouri early in the month like it was april 4th or 5th or 3rd or whatever and i was speeding i'm not gonna lie because i i was playing the quote i'm thinking well they don't need their quota early, early in the, the month, month. Yeah. <laughs> and I know they're understaffed, so maybe I can speed through southern Missouri easy. Yeah, it's hysterical, too, because you start to think about it like, oh, man, these policemen are just like normal people. Like, hey, toward the end of their shift, they're probably more prone to let somebody go because they don't want to write the fucking paperwork <laughs> and yeah. miss the ball game they're getting ready to go do, <laughs> right? Like, you see some activity, like, people are like, I don't understand why this policeman just drove right past us. So I do because he's on his, getting ready to go on his frigging days off. He and he, yeah, he didn't want to yeah. fuck with a four-hour <laughs> right. report. Yeah, that's why he did it. Is there any jurisdiction in this area that you think may be on the same level as Ferguson, or is Ferguson kind of the top top tier as far as danger? No, I, yeah, man, there's, I think danger is everywhere, right? I can tell you we used to kind of measure it from a calls per service and per capita, and Ferguson's right up there with one of the busier municipalities in the state. I think the year I was there – we probably had somewhere in the neighborhood about 35,000 calls for service in that last calendar year and for a population of probably 22,000 people. So Jesus, that's, that's a fucking lot. That's up there. See, these are things people have no idea about. 35,000 calls. And Ferguson's not that big. No. If, if I'm not six mistaken. Square, I think six square miles right. is about it. Yeah. Jesus. I mean, dude. we had a guy on earlier in the year who got shot. At the quick trip in St. Peter's at eight o'clock in the morning. Brian Royce. Good yeah. God. Have I told you that? About no. That? Yeah, well you'll we'll send to the episode. But this guy, he sells cars at Napleton Automotive. He's on his way to work. He stops at Quick Trip to get coffee at eight AM and there was some criminal from where was he, Indiana? He's cruising through with had some he had somebody else, I think, in a car he had Yeah, he had somebody like almost called to- hostage. He shoots the guy we know. Fucker's just getting coffee in the shoulder. Just going out, coming out, get fucking 
cup and, of coffee. And takes his car. Leaves and, him for and, dead. And then he wound up, and it might, I don't know if it was before, I can't remember if it was before that happened or after, but he killed a cop after, yeah. or in that, in that I think time. I it was of, Illinois. Yeah, just, just wild. And that was, to your point about different jurisdictions, that was in broad daylight at 8 a.m. in St. Peter's where you think, well. At a quick trip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, that's the thing, man. It, it, it's, you know, I made the joke earlier. I wanted to go to some place where it was busy, and I did. I sought that out. But, man, this shit happens in Ellisville. This shit happens yeah, yeah. in Baldwin. These yeah. guys are all under. It was a, we have a Baldwin police officer that was shot and is currently in a, in a wheelchair. And I forgive me, I can't remember his name. But, yeah, he's a Baldwin guy just shot in the back on a traffic stop on, like, a random Tuesday. Fuck. I, how does that work? I went to the academy with a guy who's currently in a wheelchair and was shot just walking to his call. He's a policeman. He's walking to his call. Domestic walks literally up the steps. Guy pops out, fires a couple of rounds at him, severs his spine. He's in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. You know, it's wild. You know, you have your own experiences as a police officer for five or six years. And then I'm sure you've kind of alluded to it here that you you keep an eye on police work around the city, around the state, around the country. Are there things that you do now, now that you're more in corporate America, that help you navigate some of the things that may have caused mental anguish in the past? Are there things you do now to help yourself stay healthy and be sharp? Yeah, I try and talk about it, honestly. Awesome. Like, try and bring it up and bring it to the forefront. I had a guy that worked for me a few years back that he disclosed in a personal conversation that he had some mental health issues. I actually gave him your book and he read through it. And that was always, it's always kind of been my philosophy, at least with the teams that I've managed and the people that have worked for me is that, man, if you need to take a mental health day, you need to talk about something, call me, let's have a conversation about it. Let's bring it to the forefront. Let's not hide it. Let's not bury it. Let's Love not it. put Absolutely. a fucking yeah. shell on it like I learned to do as a policeman. Let's talk about it and let's try and figure out. Not, I think the problem is a lot of people try and solve it. I don't want to solve it. Let, let's just talk about it. Let's get you comfortable with being able to express it. And that's something I try and at least do and recognize there's not always a solution to every problem. But Love that. Just fucking talk about it yeah Absolutely. i mean that's that's the whole point of why we want to do the podcast yeah. Oh, yeah. To, have, to have people realize hey it's okay to talk about it no yeah. matter what it is whether it's a mental health thing whether it's a ptsd thing i mean they're all under the same umbrella yeah and it's good to know that that's something that's helped you and that you're passing along to other people because for so long people are afraid to talk about these things like for what you guys have gone through as police officers like i i can that's the only thing that i think is a true helper is to discuss it, get through it. And like you said, it might not fix it, but at least you're addressing it and not just sweeping it under the rug. Yeah. I don't know, man. When I, I, I've gotten to the point now where I will say, yeah, I have anxiety attacks, right? I get anxious about shit. And usually the only thing that always helps me is just to talk about it. Like, why am I anxious and bring it up? And that gives me some solace personally to be able to say, Hey, hon, I'm super anxious about this. I'm nervous about this. Uh Uh-huh. I don't know why. Just let's talk. And that's huge. And that's what needs to continue. And, and unfortunately, you see this a lot of times with military guys and the police guys, right? They're, these guys are hard. Right. These guys are hard right. women and hard men. They're wired like differently. Yeah, they don't want to talk about their problems. Saying these types of things is tough for them. So 
being able to put it to the forefront and speak to it and do what you guys are doing and put some real talk behind it and bring it to the open, I think is huge. That's got to be what the, the solution is. It has to be a part of the solution. No doubt. I yeah. couldn't agree more. 100%. I mean, it's uh, luckily people are starting to talk about it more. Like I always say to people that I couldn't have done my book in 1985 because nobody would have. And they would have been like, what? Uh, who the yeah. fuck is that? I don't yeah. want to read this. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. like, what are you talking about? What's yeah. bipolar or what's right. what's depression? Like, well, it's out there. And if you address it, you got a chance to handle it. But if you don't, it's going to fucking swallow you up yeah. entirely. Remember when we were kids and you had to like ask to get a drink of water? Or if you played sports, like your coach would yell at you like, hey, pussy, what are you doing? You need some water? You? Right, right. My kids carry water bottles at school now. And they give them water bottles in case they forget their water bottles. It's a complete 180. And that's the way it is with mental health. And that's where we've almost got to get. We're, we were at the point where it was shut up. Mm-hmm. You don't have anything wrong. Rub some dirt in it and move on. Right. And until we get to a point where we can talk about that, you're going to have ridiculous explosions you're gonna have people that are bottling things up and and then they fucking lose their shit they lose their shit so you you, when you say that you make me think of something and it goes back to these school shootings are we at a point now where we need to have a security guard at every school whether it's a private school whether it's a public school you know whatever i heard somebody about a year ago told me that they had this idea of trying to get retired veterans or non-active veterans to be at schools and, and you know, be a, a guard, if you will. Yep. I mean, do you think that's something that could ever come to fruition? Yeah. You guys should. have kids. I mean, would you prefer? Well, I, yeah. I think I'd feel better about my nieces and nephews if I knew there was a security guard on, on the property. You know? Yeah. It's to the point where it's necessary. We have security. Seems like it. We have security guards everywhere. Yeah. Why wouldn't we have them in the schools? Yeah. You, you got, got security guards at a Cardinal game. Why yeah. can't you have it at a, at a grammar school? Yeah. I got armed security guards walking into my fucking target, but right. not at the kid's grade school. It, it seems ludicrous to me at this point, and I think it's got to happen. Yeah. I mean, you would think if a person is going to come in and try to shoot up a school, if they learn that there's a guard at the school, maybe that would deter them. Maybe they're so mentally ill that it doesn't matter. They're going to go in guns blazing. But I feel like if you're going to consider it and you know, there's an armed security guard, maybe that would send you the other way. I don't know though. Yeah. Or at the very least it would minimize losses by having somebody armed there that can neutralize the situation immediately. Yeah. The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Amen. I like that. So to put that on a T-shirt. Yeah, I think it's like an NRA <laughs> slogan. Like a I think, yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> like, I think wow, I've you seen that on the up. back of about amazing. 15 trucks on right. the way over here. Right. <laughs> well, Drew, thank you so much for coming in and, yeah, and dude, sharing you know, your story and kind of the details of what it's really like to be a police officer. And thank you for your service. And, and thank you for continuing to keep an eye on uh, these situations because – I think only the people that have been in them can truly understand all the details about it. It's one of those things, man. I, you don't get a profession that gets Monday morning quarterbacked as much as really a policeman. You Isn't that true? Two seconds to make a decision as a policeman, and then it's going to be on the local news and dissected by every analyst for the next six and a half months that everybody gets to Monday morning that. so. Oh, man. Well, it's a tough one. Thank you again. That is our guest, Drew McClure. I'm Michael Wellington. That's Brandon McNamee. Come back and see us next time on Street Smart. Yes, sir. Pleasure, gents. Thank you.